The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Faculty Futures Lab. I'm DJ Hopkins. I'm a professor at San Diego State University. This episode of Faculty Futures Lab is part of the series, How to Professor, in which I talk to professors about how they got good at the things they do. This episode is about inclusive academic leadership, and I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Bailing Shaw. Hi, Bailing. Hi. Dr. Shaw is a public relations teacher scholar, a higher education leader, a social justice activist, and the co-parent of two young men. She joined Cal State Fullerton in 2019 as Dean of the College of Communications, following 15 years at San Diego State University, where she was a public relations professor, director of the School of Journalism and Media Studies, and acting associate dean of the College of Professional Studies and Fine Arts. Thank you for joining Faculty Futures Lab today, Bailing. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Everybody, you can check out the show notes online for a link to Bailing's full bio. And believe me, it's a doozy. Bailing, the first conversation that I can remember having with you we were walking between residence halls on the campus of San Diego State. You were already a faculty member in residence, living in one of the residence halls with your family, and I was getting ready to start a three-year term as faculty in residence myself. And in my recollection, you're walking along wearing sweatpants, very cool white sunglasses, and you were telling me about how often you were mistaken for an undergrad. <laughs> Do you remember okay. that? Well, first of all, I have to say that your memory is not totally accurate because I'm pretty sure that I never wear sweatpants, but I do remember those white frame sunglasses, which I loved. And I was so sad when they were no longer usable. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, memory is a funny thing, but I will never forget those sunglasses. However, your on-campus attire may or may not have changed. I've always seen the same person, regardless of context. I've always seen the same Bay Ling, even while watching you move up the administrative org chart. But that faculty in residence position was my introduction to academic administration, to a world on campus beyond my classes, to a world on campus beyond the hallway that my fellow faculty members had their offices. What was your first experience with academic administration and academic leadership? That's a really great question. I think, DJ, my first experience with the world beyond my own program and my own classes would have been when I was a graduate student at the University of Maryland. Mm. I got a job working as the graduate assistant in the study abroad office. And so that gave me um, kind of exposure to some of the back end, if you will, of university programs, university offices, you know, all these staff members who work so hard on every college campus to really mm -hmm. make the student experience a great one, even if when students think about their campus, they often only think first and foremost of the faculty in the classroom. Now that you say it, I remember as a grad student, I was a spectator on the relationships between faculty and staff, between the chair of the department, who was also an advisor of mine, and the staff. 
Yeah, and I would say this too, you know, thinking back on the graduate student experience, I was kind of an activist as a graduate student. We had a situation mm -hmm. in my academic unit where um, the leader of that unit, who ironically now, uh, and now that I think about it, was a dean, um, that dean had made some decisions that some faculty didn't agree with and that some students didn't agree with, and I was very much an activist in that way. And so I'm struck. DJ, by what you said about how long we've known each other and that I've always seemed like the same person, because I think even the faculty and fellow students who knew me as a grad student and even my friends from high school and middle school and elementary school would say that too, that I'm still the same person. And I would say that's because I am. So I'd like to stay with this idea of bailing in the past for a little moment. You've shared some background intel with me. Thank you very much for that. So I know that your paternal grandmother and grandfather and your father were all engineers. So it seems almost miraculous that you yourself are not an engineer. Yeah, you know, I've actually thought about that. My um, dad and his parents, as you say, were in the civil engineering profession. You know, my grandmother was the first woman to graduate from the civil engineering department at her university in China. And mm. I think about that a lot. You know, I think about what must that have yeah. been like to be literally the only woman in that department at a university pre-World War II in China in the mm. 1930s, right? I, I think about that a lot. When I think about your question now in this moment, what I literally just realized is I am a third generation constructor of systems that make societies function. I mean, civil engineers build roads, build bridges, build infrastructure that sustain and develop and grow nations. And in the work that I've done in public relations, as a faculty member and now in higher education administration, you know, you could say that I'm doing similar things metaphorically, right? Building but the it's roads, infrastructure. building the pathways, constructing yeah. and really reconstructing because it needs an overhaul, the academic <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I literally just realized that in this conversation. So thank you for giving me that opportunity <laughs> to have this insight. Um, and can we talk about leadership? Well, I think we already are, right? Because once we start talking about the difference between infrastructure that's physical material and infrastructure in terms of institutional systems, we're already thinking about building on a metaphorical level. And I think that's uh, moving in the direction of leadership. So the answer to your question is, yes, let's talk about leadership. So I'd like to first define leadership, right? The academic literature on leadership basically defines leadership as the ability to influence change. And I think I have felt that to be true before I ever read that academic definition in a textbook or in an academic journal, because really, you know, back to that theme of being the same person, I have always tried to bring about or to influence change that I thought was needed to make things better, right? And so I think for the purposes of 
this particular conversation about inclusive academic leadership, I would hope people take away the realization that leadership is not about a title. Leadership is not about a position. Leadership mm-hmm. is about the willingness, the ability to influence and bring about change. And you can do that from any space and any place. I think that's really important. As we think about a podcast that's made by professors, I'm assuming most of the audience are professors. I think it's absolutely invaluable for professors to remind each other that we can lead from where we are. Absolutely. We're not in a strict hierarchy. A chair is not really anybody's boss, even though leadership is certainly part of the mandate of a department chair. Similarly, a professor doesn't need to have, as you just said, a a leadership title in order to be able to enact change and work with others to bring about the kind of infrastructure you've been talking about. Totally. Hey, I want to slip back in time a little bit to an earlier Beiling who we've already established is probably very similar to present day Beiling. Hey, look, that Beiling went to college and she wanted to study identity. And I want to know why you ended up in public relations rather than cultural studies or American studies or sociology. I'm sure this connection is obvious to Beiling 2022, but can you unpack for me the intersection of identity research and public relations that captured your imagination then and has motivated you so long? I'm happy to talk about it. I don't think that it is a linear progression. I don't know that I showed up in college thinking that I wanted to study identity and then signed up for a public relations class. In fact, it wasn't like that at all. I really wanted to be a writer, perhaps subconsciously, because I knew that writing was a form of expressing one's identity. I don't know, but really I wanted to be a writer. And so I started in college. I went to Purdue University in Indiana Mm -hmm. and I was an English major. I wasn't able to get the classes that I needed in the major. And plus I had a bad experience reading this ancient text in middle English. And a friend of mine, um, was the child of a faculty member. And that faculty member said to me over dinner, you know, you would be good at public relations. And I kind of laughed because I had stereotypes of what public relations is just like everyone else. And I said, no, no, no. I think I would be terrible at public relations because I hate people, like really. (laughs) Um, And so he was like, well, you know, you don't have to like people. We have lots of introverts in public relations. And so this public relations faculty member that was the father of a friend um, explained to me that public relations is about helping organizations to build relationships with their stakeholders, right? People impacted Mm -hmm. by organizational decisions. When I really understood that, I think that's where I understood that this discipline, which when I started was very nascent, this discipline had a lot of potential. So as I reflect now, I think I was attracted to public relations because as a discipline, it was having identity problems. As a discipline, Mm -hmm. it still has identity problems. People think it's propaganda when really it's not. 
I've seen a brief lecture that you gave in which you addressed this um, public relations problem that public relations has. And I agree, I tend to think of public relations as saying whatever needs to be said as professional sophistry. And I know that you have very strong feelings that it is in fact all about speaking truth. The identity crisis that public relations has as a discipline is not dissimilar to the identity crisis that many academic disciplines face today, that yeah. higher education in general faces today, and that individual academics may be experiencing even more intensely during this pandemic period when we've all had a lot of extra time to reflect. <laughs> so really the study of identity is about figuring out the connection between who people think you are, which is your ascribed identity, and who you say you are, which is your avowed identity, and how those things align. This gives me a great opportunity to fast forward to 2019. You gave an interview to the Fullerton campus paper shortly after becoming Dean. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good interview, a little bit of early biography, and a lot of time focusing on you as a scholar engaged with ideas of identity. And the interview concludes by presenting you as a Dean who's going to focus on identity. But that interview was December, 2019 two and a half years ago, before COVID, before the murder of George Floyd, before the insurrection. So my question for you is, how are you doing? How are you holding up, Bailey? I bet those last couple of years have been a bit different from what you expected. The last couple of years have been different than expected for every single person on earth. Yeah. For those of us who are so fortunate and so privileged to still be alive and in a capacity to reflect on that unexpectedness. Ironically for myself, I think the last two and a half years have actually facilitated my work because mm. the mission of the College of Communications at Cal State Fullerton is preparing communicators to advance a democratic society. I didn't show up at Cal State Fullerton and create that mission. That mission mm -hmm. was created when this college was founded in 1988. And I came to Cal State Fullerton for the purpose of serving that mission. And That's so amazing. what we've seen in the last two and a half years is real soul searching about democracy, what democracy means, and what advancing democracy means. Let me give you an example. In my mind, democracy and diversity have always been connected because true democracy in a pluralistic society is a democracy that is inclusive of all the groups in it, right? Diversity needs democracy as much as democracy needs diversity. I literally was so naive to think everyone felt that way until <laughs> Mr. Floyd was publicly lynched and insurrectionists stormed the Capitol on January 6th. That's when I realized that I was uniquely positioned to articulate things that maybe people had thought about or knew deep down, but had never spoken out loud. So Bei Ling, as we kind of move toward a conclusion here, 
in the interview that I mentioned, you talk about your family's immigration story. You've talked with me in the past uh, about growing up in Texas. And I've seen firsthand the way you as a woman professor navigate various challenges on campus. What is it about your identity positions, plural, that informs your approach to inclusive academic leadership? Sure. So as a scholar of identity, I'll say this. I've already talked about the difference between avowed identity and described identity. The other basic thing about identity is the fact that identity is multifaceted. And that means that each of us will avow a sense of belonging to different cultural groups, right? So like, I'm a mom, I'm a dean, I'm a professor, I'm a wife, et cetera. Currently, there's a lot of inappropriate application of that concept where people substitute in the word intersectionality and they talk about intersectional identities because intersectionality is a popular word and lots of people are using it wrong. So when we talk about all the ways in which different identities coexist and intersect in a single individual, that's really identity being multifaceted. Intersectionality is an analytic framework about the ways in which different identities have more or less privilege than other identities. And so intersectionality is about the layers and levels of privilege or lack thereof that each of us have. And so what I would say to answer your question about how my identity positions inform my approach to inclusive academic excellence is this. I would say that I leverage those of my identities that have greater privilege and I leverage those to influence change. And while I do that, I honor my identities that have lesser privilege and in doing that, it helps me remember why that change is necessary. Which just brings me back to you as a builder, as your grandmother's granddaughter. You know, as a young child, one of the things that I was forced to do, in addition to take Chinese lessons on the weekend and practice piano for an hour a day, <laughs> I was also asked to proofread the stuff that my dad had to do for work because English was his second language and it was my first, right? So I read as a young child, way more civil engineering stuff than I ever cared to think about again. <laughs> but what I can say from that experience is this, as much as civil engineering is about building the roads and building the bridges and building the infrastructure, sometimes to make that building possible, other things have to be bulldozed out of the way. And doing that takes courage, takes willpower, takes a willingness to agree that our current structures and systems do not serve the future that we claim we want. And if we really want it, then we need to do something about it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and wisdom today. Yeah. Thank you for having me because this conversation gave me the chance to reflect on things and come to an articulation of things I've held inside that I didn't realize I was holding.